The High Republic is back, Starlight Beacon is down, the Stormwall is up, and George Mann has delivered his first adult novel in Star Wars canon. That novel is, of course, Eye of Darkness, and we're going to talk about it today. You're listening to the Eye of Darkness Roundtable on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Johnny Maynor and I'm joined around the virtual table today by a couple of Star Wars book lovers uh, eager to chat in a spoiler-filled detail uh, about this latest installment of The High Republic. First up, we've got one of my fellow admins from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast, Dan, a.k.a. Vader's Castle Library on the old Instagram. Hiya, Dan. Hello, hello. I, I loved that intro, Johnny. I, it made me sad because you reminded me about Starlight. So we're off to a good start. Yay. <laughs> it's the sad, this the sad Republic. Yeah, the sad Republic. <laughs> um, and we're thrilled to have back with us again um, a voice who you might not have heard on the show for a little while. Uh, here we have Chelsea Zakowski, the, the power behind the Space Wizards Book Club, sometime writer for Star Wars Insider magazine. Hiya, Chelsea. Hi, I'm so glad to be back. I'm really excited to talk about the sad republic yeah. again <laughs> yeah although we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe 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 not so sad this time out we'll see how we feel about it um we had hoped to have a few more voices uh, around the table so it's, it's not quite a round table it, it is and uh, i've got to give you credit for this <laughs> dan it's more of a triangular table triangle table here we are yeah there we are <laughs> okay so folks here we are um eye of darkness as you too know, um, I, I've just finished reading this one for the first time. How fresh are you guys on this one? Uh, did you inhale it when it was first released? Have you gone back for seconds? What about you, Dan? Uh, I did not inhale it on release. I got it a bit late because I got the fancy Goldsboro signed sprayed edges edition. Lovely. It's very beautiful. Um, but that arrived a bit late. I got it started. I got maybe a hundred pages in. Was really enjoying it, and then for some reason, as as often happens with life, I hit a bit of a reading slump, uh, and I didn't really properly pick it up again until the new year, um, about sort of a week ago. And then I inhaled the other two hundred pages in a weekend. Mm. Um, so it is very fresh in my mind. Um, Basically everything after page 100, I could recite it off by heart. But before that, okay. we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat before we get to that. Chelsea, what about you? So I not inhaled, but I definitely savored it before release. Um, the mm -hmm. publisher sent me a copy and I, of course, read it, had it finished by release date. I sent out my review on release date. And, but, you know, release date was only, was back in November. So it's not so far yeah. back. Um, but to do a little refresh, I started listening to it on audiobook a few days ago. And I have about, oh, let's see here. I think like an hour, two okay. hours left of the audiobook. So I've just, I've gone past, and I know how it ends. I remember how it ends, but 
I've gone past kind of those like main climactic moments yeah. um, in the book. Got so it. it's it's still pretty so between fresh. Between the now. two of us, we've got the beginning and the end covered. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm kind of where Dan's at in that I did start to read it um, when it arrived in in November. Um, but I did hit a bit of a reading slump and the holidays happened and I wasn't feeling particularly well. Um, you know, you can probably still hear there's a bit of a bit of a croak in my throat. Um, so I didn't come back to it really until last week. Uh, and I have just finished it. I finished it last night. Um, so again, the, the back half is pretty clear in my mind. Uh, I may be a tad rusty on, on some of the details of those earlier earlier sections but anyway let's dive into it uh and think about our sort of our headline thoughts about this novel without getting too heavily into plot and character details let's just take the temperature around our triangular table um chelsea what about you what were your sort of headline thoughts on eye of darkness from from your reading of it well now that i've basically read it twice i I like that it really explores the Jedi's grief and like guilt over everything that's happened up until this point, particularly the fall of Starlight Beacon. Obviously, that's like the climax, you know, of phase one. So I like that they spend, I like that um, George Mann spends a lot of time with individual mm. Jedi and like kind of Jedi partners here. And really like, I loved the exploration with Elzar. I think that's a highlight yeah. <laughs> of the book. And yeah, like every time I think of, you know, a headline or a title of like a review of how I would describe, I go back to like, jedi grief and mm -hmm. guilt and then looking back at my review that i wrote um i talked about how it had empire strikes back moments uh -huh. <laughs> like kind of small victories but even but but still like the jedi and the republic are they're definitely on the defense they're they're like you know <laughs> yeah they have lost well not lost everything but like they are they're not yeah, doing great. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the Empire Strikes Back because I, I definitely, that was definitely something that was coming through for me uh, on my read through, which I thought was interesting because it is, I guess, it's not the middle chapter of the trilogy. I, th I think we're getting a trilogy in phase three of adult novels, uh, unless I'm mistaken. You know, mm -hmm. so, but you know, it, it's not that sort of middle bit. Everything is sort of grim. Um, this is the start, but it's also it's really it's really started off kind of at our low point, um, and it's I guess sort of building on that uh, and taking folk on the sort of the next difficult steps. Where do you go from there? Um, with maybe just tiny bits of light uh, at the end of the tunnel. Dan, what about you? How did you feel about it? Um, I loved it. I thought it was really really good. Um, I know you don't really do the ranking thing, Johnny, but I'm going to do it. Hmm. It doesn't quite, and this is this is for me. These are all brilliant books. It doesn't quite sit on the level that I'd put, like the Jedi Rising, Stormfall, and Star on. Okay. Um, Cataclysm, I sort of put just about up there as well. This one's maybe just underneath, but I did I did prefer it to Convergence, so that's sort of where I'd put it. But I really enjoyed it. Um, the more I got into it, the more I appreciated it, and and really enjoyed what. Um, George Mann was doing with the characters. I mean, we'll go into the characters a lot um, 
agree with Chelsea. I'm a big Elzar man fan. This was obviously a very Elzar heavy book, which was really yeah. good for me. Um, this book made me completely fall in love with Avar Chris. I always mm. appreciated Avar as a character, but it wasn't until I read this book that I was just like, holy shit, Avar yeah. Chris is incredible. Um, I was always a huge Porter Engel fan, so him being a POV character in this was sort of a huge sort of joy for me as well. So it it, it, it hit the characters that I needed to see. It, it did feel smaller than something like The Rising Storm or Light of the Jedi in terms of it was yeah. sort of more compact. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting first chapter to the final phase. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm all in cool. for it. That, that, that's a really interesting point that it, it maybe felt a bit smaller to you, Dan, um, because I, yeah. I want to get into yeah. I want to get into the plot. And I guess, you know, the adult books in phase one of the High Republic were, I guess, characterized by these big um, sort of disaster set pieces, you know, uh, often with a lot of Jedi working together. You know, there was a bit of a shift away from that in the prequel tales and the phase two adult novels. And, uh, and there's no big event as such in this phase three opener. You know, here we are largely following POV characters working in relative isolation from one another and in a couple of cases from the galaxy at large. It, is that a direction that we enjoyed or did we feel the absence of sort of cataclysmic happenings and a massive Jedi body count? Um, Chelsea, what about you? I don't know if I say I would miss it or mm -hmm. not miss it. I, I, I keep going back to, I love the character yeah. work that we get in this book with all of them. And I, I, I agree with, or I'm on the same page with Dan too. Like I was not, I mean, I like Avar. I appreciated her, and but I felt like I didn't get enough of her in the books. I know that she plays very heavily in the comics, and I'm I'm always woefully behind on the comics. <laughs> uh, but same, I'm the same. I, <laughs> but I loved how much time we got to spend with her, and like it, you have this like a both Avar and Elzar are having these really deep like self-reflective moments and i felt like we didn't really get that at least with avar i feel like we've always gotten like the self-reflective moments with elzar he's just he's just uh -huh. that guy um <laughs> he, he, he is intimately acquainted with the contents of his navel yes the self-reflection he um i a big yeah. big fan of self-reflection um especially when when it's it's jedi uh and i I love a sad man too. And he's just kind of always sad. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want someone to hug him and tell mm -hmm. him that it's going to be okay. And just seeing like the, the weight on his shoulders and him reflecting on the loss of Stellan and how that like has kind of thrust him into this, like trying to fill his shoes. And I, I literally yeah. just listen. I just, finished listening to the part where he's sending the message to Avar and he's like mm. his Stellan's boots are too big I miss you I need you I'm like oh my goodness <laughs> like that just like oh my my heart and like he almost yeah. says I know that he was gonna say I love you and I'm like oh like so close um yeah I mean I, I think everything he said is pretty much as close as a Jedi is going to yes. get to say yeah i mean that, all of the, you know like you know. yeah yeah like you have the you know the memes of like 
yeah, you can say I love you, but you can't say I need you, I miss you, I, whatever Elzar says, you know. Um, and 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 you really, really do get so much more time with Avar like by herself. Yeah. Um, and kind of really digging deep into like her mistakes yeah. and the guilt that she has over, you know, not doing what she should have done and kind of in her failures and things like that and like wanting to go back to her roots of just helping helping individual people in small ways and you know instead of trying to be the the grand you know the hero of Hetzal and the Marshall Starlight Beacon and she's just really like shed that kind of grand hero moniker yeah so so you're not really missing the big disaster event are you there's so much going on with the character work that that it's that's kind of pulling you through this easily enough yeah not necessarily i i mean i wouldn't have been mad if there was a you know kind of big disaster i mean Mm. we kind of get like a medium disaster um Mm. (laughs) and kind of fallout in that way like as like the climax of the novel before it kind of concludes but um i i don't think i needed another you know like hyperspace disaster or uh republic fair or fall of starlight beacon i feel like all of those three things and then especially the fall of starlight beacon like i i I think those are enough to really yeah Yeah. carry it forward honestly i I agree i i was starting to get a little bit worried with phase one uh, as as the marketing for for wave three ramped up and it w- it just seemed like disaster porn you know it, it, everyone was gleefully looking you know here here is an image of starlight beacon falling who will survive you know, oh, oh you, know, you, know, you know what i mean and it's like ah oh, the high republic started off so hopeful you know and so and so quickly it's become who's going to die in this book you know and i kind of i was almost I was in danger of getting fatigued by it, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fallen mm-hmm. Star was good mm-hmm. enough that I didn't that, that it carried me through. But I, I'm glad. I was really glad with this book that actually, mm-hmm. it feels more intimate. It's more about character time. We spend time with these POV characters when they have time to reflect, yeah. as opposed to being in their heads when they are dealing with the most awful thing that's happened so yeah. far. Yeah, you know. Uh, I really, really liked that about this book, actually. I was so grateful to get to spend a bit of downtime with these characters. Yes, they're in a they're in a difficult spot, you know, and there are action beats and they've got problems they're dealing with, but mm. it just felt there was time for reflection in, in a way that I I think I have been missing in, in some of the Phase 1 books, mm-hmm. for sure. But, D- Dan, were, were you missing the big event, the big disaster? Is that one of the reasons this is kind of ranking a little lower for you? Or, yeah. Or I mean, I don't know else? if I was missing the big event. I mean, well, we are talking full spoilers. I mean, there were two pretty major things yeah. that happened in this book. First being the murder of Grandmaster Protrabita that we, that we will go into. And the second being the Stormwall expanding. Um, those were pretty huge moments. And I, I sort of really agree with both you and Chelsea in the sense that getting to spend the time with the characters is what made this book special. Um, and yeah. I don't think it necessarily needed a big disaster to work. And I, I think I'm happy with that. Mm. I think maybe the only reason that I don't quite maybe rank it on the level of those is I think that probably to no fault of George Mann, I think he was left with a lot of setting up 
the rest of the phase in this book. Um, you know, sort of yeah. going into a bit of the science of the storm wall and sort of recapping where the galaxy is after a year. And yeah. I mean, I, I love Bell Zetafar, but I sort of felt that my one criticism I'd level at this book is I felt that his inclusion, I, I didn't feel like I got much from the Bell Bell's chapters. And it almost just felt like Bell's going to be the main character in the next book or the book after. So we can't not include yeah. him. So let's just like tag him along just to remind people that Bell's still here. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's there to have Avar have someone to go to or get picked up by <laughs> at the end, you know? Yeah, yeah, which is a shame because, like, Bell in the first three books is a consistent sort of, like, you know, second player character. And, you know, he's like, yeah. it's, it's an Elzar or a Stellan or an Avar book of the first three. And then you've got Bell. And then I guess the the only element of, like, the, I guess the, the sort of the plot that... Um, felt different was the the Nile in this felt because obviously like Light of the Jedi was like very Nile heavy in the sense of like we were learning about the Tempests and the battle to be who would who would be in charge. And then Rising Storm was like the Marchion Row book. And then Fallen Star, like Marchion Row really sat to the side and it was just a few Nile infiltrators and the nameless whereas this one sort of felt like we got a bit of a mix of all of that like yeah Mark Monroe did take a seat but then like Jira Starro stepped up as like a really interesting antagonist and then we had like um Melis Shrike and yeah. uh what's the other wonderful Nile General Vice Vice General Vice General Vice Vice, yeah, yeah. Vice. um so it did an interesting and different thing with the Nile in this, where it sort of presented them more as this sort of organization yeah. um, to perhaps what we had seen before. Yeah. And I think that that both was a strength for the book and maybe at times what I missed from the others when I sort of like, mm. oh, like, you know, the the, the sort of what are the Nile going to do now thing didn't come through as much in this, but I really like political stuff that Jira Staros was doing. So yeah. that was a long rambly way of saying, yes, I really like the plot. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what it reminds me of? I don't know if this resonates with either of you, but it, it really felt like uh, like sort of the, the feature length season opener to the new a new season of a TV show I really love. You know, yeah. it, it was yeah. you were you were catching up with mm -hmm. all these different characters and plot lines. It's introducing mm -hmm. a few new folks, but it's setting a lot of stuff up and moving everything on just a little bit. You know, and there's been a bit yeah. of a time lapse. It, it just had that feel to it, you know. And I, I like a tell, you know, at, from the from the first fifty pages, hundred pages, that okay, I don't think we're going to get a big event here because this isn't the finale. This isn't the climax. This no. is a lot of character work, a lot of speed work, and it's actually really good as well. It's doing a really good job of hooking me into this new season of the High Republic. Um, I, I re yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah so it's a nice way to put it, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned Dan the Stormwall a couple of times there, and and I do I do want to talk about the Stormwall because it, it it kind of is the big driver for the story mm -hmm. in a way. There's this invisible barrier in hy to hyperspace travel that demarcates the territory annexed by the by the Nihil from the Republic. So either of you have any thoughts on the Stormwall, you know, or you know the new galactic geopolitical situation that it creates or its role driving the plot or otherwise? How did that work for you? I thought it was fascinating. Mm. I. 
I like that kind of going back to, you know, did I miss like a big climactic moment, even though we did, we did have climactic moments, but it wasn't one big like disaster. Um, I, I definitely think we needed that explanation that we got of what the storm wall is, how it works, what happens to ships that try to traverse hyperspace and things like that i'm always in in star wars i'm always fascinated by how hyperspace works (laughs) since we don't have that um and kind of the the science possible science behind it and and why those things happen and i did kind of going back to like character work too of i like that we we got a lot of time with i guess i'll Say, pronounce it Markion Rowe. Um, <laughs> we got a lot of time with him and kind of ex- him explaining maybe not even his motives, but we I, I love the moments with him and Girastaros. And every time there was like the Jedi trying to like infiltrate the storm wall and trying to figure it out and kind of on the other side in the, you know, the occlusion zone of why communications aren't working and why the you know the nile are basically patrolling i don't again i don't know how they patrol this mm. huge area but it, it george made it man made it sound like if you didn't have a nile on your ship or like the clearance codes or whatever like you were in danger if you just like yeah. left a planet like any planet in that like annexed zone so I mean, that was, it it made it scary. And I appreciated the explanation of the storm wall and the occlusion zone and all of those like kind of logistical Mm. details to really add, add like that, that fear of like, no, it's like, not just, you're just kind of on another planet and there's a bunch of Nile here. Like you, you, you know, specifically the Jedi are in danger. Did did, did you ever sort of struggle to get your head around how on earth the Nihil managed to pull off that logistical thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I, I figured I probably wasn't alone in that. Um, and it, it may be that there's more to come in other novels that will explain. Dark signs, secrets only the Sith do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what about you? What about you, Dan? How did you feel about the Stormwall? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Uh, mm. it, the first few chapters I was like am I into this big storm wall thing and then very quickly I was because what it did and what it represents is like the the, the whole of phase one was so you know the high republic we are all the republic and then the storm wall comes along and says well we're not all the republic now because a lot of us are in stuck in Nile space mm. and you know it, it sort of feeds into you know, a lot of the stuff that George Lucas was doing with the prequels and sort of the separatist movement, it, it, it suggests that the Republic, can the Republic look after the, the size of the galaxy that it has to look mm. after? And I think it, it made, it, it raised that question again, but in a unique and different way. Yeah. It wasn't the separatist movement. It was completely different. Um, but then it also gave, it gave the novel room to do a lot of political intrigue and yeah. i mean lena so in this was incredible mm-hmm. yes um and just seeing the way the republic deals with literally losing you know a quarter of the planets that they have yeah to a bunch of terrorists 
essentially. Seeing that fallout, I actually thought was fascinating. And yeah, the science of the storm walls a bit, does it make any sense? I'm not mm, sure. Yeah. But it worked for the sake of creating a really compelling story that yeah. didn't just split the Jedi up. Because, I mean, we're going to get to the Jedi being split up. But splitting the Republic up in the time that is meant to be the High Republic is a genius move from the whole creative team. I think yeah. it was a really interesting way to do that. I, I, I think I'm in the same position. Like, I kind of give it a pass because of the fascinating situation it creates. Um, I, I struggle with science. It kind of, at the minute, for me, the science makes about as much sense as how the laser from Starkiller Base travels through hyperspace. You, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, kind, it's kind of in that ballpark for me right now. I was like, I don't know how that works. And, and well, I kept on getting, um, you, you can't go under it, you can't go around it, you have to go through it, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and don't get me started on, well, when it expands, does that mean all of the boys have hyper? drives or path engines how, how does it move so quick um but any, anyway no I, I love what it sets up here and it's interesting Dan that you mention George Lucas and sort of some of the geopolitical ideas that sort of he brought into the Star the original Star Wars movies because there were a number of things, particularly in those early chapters, that I just thought had really interesting sort of almost real world polit political resonances, you know, not least just this idea of annexation of territory, you know, when we've got a whole situation happening in Russia and Ukraine with a whole bit of a country that was just annexed by another country. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, every now and again, Star Wars stories bring these issues up that make you think about or sort of call to mind things that are going on in the real world. Um, more to the point, I find myself reading these early chapters in November 2023 and reading about you know loved ones trapped behind the storm wall and communications being difficult. And, you know, at a time when we're reading and watching in the news stories about people kidnapped and captured and you know, in Gaza, for example, mm -hmm. you know, and again, not George Mann did not have this in mind when he's writing this book. This is not what he's talking about, but just an, just an, another one of those weird instances where a Star Wars book comes out and it sort of, it oddly hits a nerve, mm -hmm. you know, in, in terms of something else that's going on at the time. I think one yeah, of the, one, one of the classic examples was it's one of the, one of the new Jedi order novels that landed in October, 2001 weeks after nine 11. Uh, and that was the novel in which uh, the Yuuzhan Vong sacked Coruscant by chucking ships at the sh ships full of hostages at yeah. the planetary shield, you know. Uh, and everybody suddenly it, it comes out. It was written months in advance, but it comes out in that in that time, and it has a different flavor. Um, I just think it's fascinating that Star Wars novels can still do that. That we're still talking about tales in a galaxy far, far away, but every now and again, it just has that extra frisson of they're talking about ideas that mean stuff in the real world it's fascinating mm -hmm. either of you pick up on any of that or yeah yeah I, I definitely felt it yeah i definitely felt it reading it and i i just think it's it's a classic example of what star wars does so brilliantly and, yeah. and why i always roll my eyes when people say oh keep politics out of star wars <laughs> the, the the fact that star wars has an ability to talk about things that are almost timeless and 
whether you, I mean, I'm sure you could pick this book up in five years time and it will be relevant to whatever ha is happening in five years time because yeah. throughout history, there's always going to be these sort of political dealings that apply at a certain time. And I think Star Wars has always been able to do that. Um, and I just think this is another great example that George Mann probably at the time he might have been influenced by what was happening in Europe and then by the time it comes out it's sort of links more to the Middle East and I think yeah. that's just nothing to do with what the writers are planning it's just that the themes and the the big picture of what Star Wars is about stems from the real world yeah. mm -hmm. and that, that stems all the way back from George Lucas being a ridiculously political individual <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah absolutely I um there are a couple points it, or a couple like characters themes in this in this book that really like hit home with me too and as someone who's studied history and is also a journalist um i really love i mean a big reason why i love star wars is and and honestly just pop culture in general it, it it's gonna reflect our own world it's going to be influenced by what's happening in our real world and what what has happened and things like that and star wars is always has been and will continue to be political and yeah. i love in maybe not love uh but <laughs> i was fascinated by in the eye of darkness how the nile become like went from kind of like you know chaotic uh you know anarchy and just lawlessness kind of like pirates things like that space pirates marauders but they're terrorists you know they you know the this destruction of starlight beacon was a act of terrorism and then we have a live execution of a jedi broadcast <laughs> to the republic well, that, and i mean chapter honestly <laughs> and yeah. I mean, that was brutal. And just seeing that evolution and I, I couldn't help but wonder too, I think we got like a little flavor of it, um, a little, little tease of it, of if all of the Nile, like all of the members, you know, are they thinking I didn't sign up to do this? You know, I just wanted, mm -hmm. you know, the quote unquote freedom or something, you know, I don't want to be a part of the Republic because of whatever reason um so i'm i'm really interested to see how that evolves as the the yeah. phase goes on and the other part was i really really love real darrow she's a journalist and i think that's a big mm -hmm. reason why i loved the rising storm so much um there's her one of her chapters as the as she's trying to broadcast to the republic of what happened at the republic fair and like her getting so emotional i'm like oh my gosh like i mean like i feel that because like i have reported on these whole, you know massacres and and tragedies and things like that and i love that we have her even more of her in the eye of darkness and like all the yeah. things that she's trying to fight back even even though she's being forced to share propaganda yeah she, she's a fascinating character um i yeah i i think the the whole setup with the with the nihil there um sort of trying well this was it's mostly at uh gira staros's bidding trying to adopt the trappings of a functional 
government of some sort, um, you know, and using someone like Real Dario to sort of use the the, the Republic's voice against themselves, almost. Um, all of that is hugely interesting, and I genuinely thought that uh, towards the end of the novel that. Um, Mark Mark was just going to push Giristaros off the tower and be done with that way of thinking entirely. Um, yeah. He does not want to be a politician, does he? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he is not interested in governing at all. So I, I, yeah, like you, Chelsea, I'm really intrigued to see where the sort of the political machinations are, are kind of going to go uh, and sort of and how the Nihil is, is going to adapt if it is going to adapt continue to try to adapt it in, in those ways um that's yeah. that, that's definitely going to be interesting to watch can i just add one little thing i mean mm. I, I know this is a character we'll go into um but i i, I have to mention avar's ugnaught bestie <laughs> belen uh who was incredible in this um yeah but what the the representing one of these people who are just trying to survive in a territory that's occupied by the Nihil mm-hmm. and he doesn't believe in the Nihil. He's probably one of the majority of people stuck in Nihil space who don't agree with this way. And it's just seeing him sort of starting from that pure survival point of like, Oh, I'm just going to keep my head down and do my job to by the end going off with, real to sort of spread the word and encourage people to rise up and fight back against the night i thought was seeing that like i'm a sucker for whenever star wars does what are the real people feeling in this situation yeah Uh, and this is possibly one of my favorite of that of the last few years mostly just because it was an ugnaught and he kept on saying i have spoken (laughs) but it was it was so pitch perfect and i think probably george mann's best original creation i think that that character um in his um, most recent novels i think yeah very much kind of the uh, the ordinary person um and sort of the, 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 you're right the, the one character we get to focus on uh in terms of sort of what, what the ordinary person is dealing with on, he's just the, a lorry driver yeah he's just yeah. a lorry driver trying I to love do his that. job i love that yeah well let, let's let's get into some of these characters then um there are quite a few because, as we've said, you know, it's not one big event. It's these disparate story threads that actually really only come together much nearer the end of the novel. Part of that is, I guess, because of the storm wall, as we've discussed, kind of physically keeping people apart. Um, but for, first up, I mean, we've, we've mentioned him already. Uh, Elzar Man, this, this is kind of his book, isn't it? I mean, how, how do you how did you like Elzar in this one, Chelsea? Oh, I loved Elzar. I mean, I just, I love, love him as a character in general. I think he's one of my favorite characters, especially in the High Republic. Um, mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it really is his book. I would say it's, you know, you get the really deep explorations of all of the things he's carrying, you know, the emotional weight mm-hmm. he's carrying. Um, I love his his kind of back and forths with uh, Chancellor So and her looking to him as the, as like her new, you know, kind of Jedi confidant, you know, like Stellan's gone and now she's, you know, kind of going to him for like, you know, how should we, almost like the liaison between the Republic, like the government and the Jedi Council. And, you know, they kind of, they become like a, 
you know a little duo of like what are we gonna do i when i was like thinking of like how else i would title this book i would I kept thinking it would be the high republic you know what the hell do we do now um because <laughs> like like throughout the book so that like, happens yeah um every every single character doesn't matter jedi or just regular person it's really like i think elzar and and chancellor so and everybody several times throughout the novels like what are we supposed to do now and Elzar, for sure, he, I don't think he, it, it takes him a while and to really figure out, like, what am I supposed to do now? I just lost, like, my best friend. I also kind of lost, you know, temporarily um, his other best friend slash possible love of his life. Um, love of his life, <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, she's not gone, gone, but she's missing. Uh, can't contact her. He doesn't have really anybody else that he can talk to about his feelings about what how to how to move forward how to um like help lead the not lead the jedi but like help guide the jedi into like the next steps like he seems really really lost um and it and i like that not that I want him to suffer, but I don't want him to suffer, but like, I like that we spend a lot of time him really like reflecting and trying to come up with the best, maybe not solution, but like best, best path forward, you know, best next yeah. step. And mm -hmm. it, it broke my heart that like, he was so hopeful to um, do that would you call it an attack or yeah like attack on the storm wall and he was like so yeah. confident and so hopeful and just it like it works and then like two, a sentence later it doesn't it just literally goes up in smoke it, and he is devastated and i'm like oh my gosh yeah. my poor sweet baby <laughs> like <Yeah>. he just <laughs> he's just trying so hard <laughs> i want him to have a break <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, this the fascinating thing about this book, isn't it? That we, I guess with all the characters, we'll, we'll talk about them in turn. But you know, where they get to in the end feels earned, mm -hmm. and, and mm. I think particularly with Elzar, I think, uh, you know, because he's really ridden that roller coaster. You know, um, oh, yeah. you are happy for him by the end mm -hmm. that he's that they've got that they've made paltry progress in the grand scheme of things but actually <laughs> it's something to hold on to dan what about you um how did elzar work for you here oh i mean elzar is my favorite high republic character he is probably now my one of my top three jedi of all time i mean mm. I, I he's a fantastic character um there's elements to elzar's character which i connect to on a personal level maybe that's not good but I, I do I find it's for as much as I love Star Wars as a franchise there's not many characters I can point to which is actually quite a good honest representation of like a struggling man mm -hmm. as Elzar Man and I mean his name is literally Elzar Man it's kind of in the title <laughs> but it, it's such a fascinating character study and the de him dealing with the loss of his best friend i mean it's a whole part of him which is gone um and i mean yeah like him dealing with the fact that this woman who he 
is absolutely in love with and he can't be in love with because he's a Jedi, but he realises more and more that he just is and he can't live without her. Seeing that play out in this was... I mean, the Elzar-Avar relationship has become like my favourite thing mm-hmm. about the entire High Republic. It is the thing that I'm like chomping at the bit for the next book for because this relationship has become the centrepiece to the whole publishing initiative for me. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fascinating. It, it was one of the most tantalising bits from sort of the wrap-up chapter of The Light of the Jedi for me. Yeah. Uh, and then it went nowhere. For, well, such, because, for such a long yeah. time, because other, they had a lot of other stuff to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Avar sort of, she sat out of the Rising Storm and the Fallen Star. And we sort of, we felt Avar through Elzar's affection towards her mm. and her not being next to him. But it wasn't really until this book where we felt Avar's side of it as well. As like, yeah. she, she misses Elzar too. This is not a one way. He's obsessed with her and she doesn't yeah. feel anything yeah. back. Well, she... It's obviously processing it at a different speed to Elzar. She's obviously in love with this man as well. So it's yeah. seeing, I think for me, this is the Elzar and Avar book. Mm-hmm. And their relationship is central to not just the book, like not just the characters, but like, you know, this is a story about two beings trapped on either side of the storm ball trying to get back to each other. At its absolute heart, that is what this book is about. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so powerful and so in- in- incredibly moving uh, and yeah I-, I loved it let, let, let's talk about Avar. i was going to chatter about her a bit later on but let's let's talk about Avar then since, since we're since we're there um as a Avar chris story then chelsea how, how did, did you enjoy it did you enjoy spending finally spending more time in prose with Avar? yes i really did um i again like I am woefully behind on the comics. I always fall behind. And I know that the comics were really Avar heavy and um, Keith mm-hmm. Trennis and things like that. And I love, I love that they are, um, you, you know, two incredible women Jedi kind of leading the com- the main run of the comics. And I love that. But I, I do wish that, I, I did wish that I had more about Avar beyond, because we, you know, we have her set up in the light of the Jedi as this, you know, almost godlike, you know, goddess-like mm. character, you know, so powerful, and you know, her, the so- how she hears the Force is through a song, yeah. the, and that beautiful moment at the start of Light of the Jedi when it's, it's still one of my favorite passages mm-hmm. in the new canon, um, where you know she crosses her legs and levitates and uses the Force to tie her hair in a bun. Mm-hmm. Yes. Before closing her eyes and getting down to business, you know, yeah. it's beautifully written. It's a an amazing moment and just sets her up as like oh my god she is gonna cook Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be amazing (laughs) and she and and she you know also in light of the jedi when she helps connect you know dozens of jedi together through like this force connection and and to guide things away and like to save like hundreds of people or probably millions of people you know because of the hyperspace disaster like she's set up to almost on a pedestal like basically and not i mean it's kind of nice to see her brought back down to earth and brought back down to um Mm. you know her roots like she literally talks uh, thinks uh in in the eye of darkness about this is avar being avar like this is just doing the work going out well you know kind of getting her hands dirty 
um, and helping people in any way she can, even if it's just small ways. And I really yeah. liked that. It's a really interesting juxtaposition. If you like read, you know, kind of Avar in Light of the Jedi and like Avar now, they almost seem like two different characters because of all the things that have happened and her kind of reflecting on all of her like missteps and really about, mm. you know, putting so much focus in trying to capture Lorna D because she mistakenly thought she was the eye of the Nile and she wasn't and, you know, how that impacted where they are now. Yeah, I mean, how much of that played out in prose? Um, it all blurs for me because I do read everything, but I mean, I think a lot, a lot of that played out in the comics, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think a lot of it was um, like her and Keeve um, hunting for Lorna D, and then like with mm. the with stuff with the Drangir um, and yeah. things like that. Like that really played out in the comics. Yeah, and and the comics presented her as this, you know, a, a goddess like figure mm -hmm. to yeah. Keeve as well. And it that comic run basically took Keeve on a journey of sort of realizing that Avar wasn't perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Avar realizing that Avar wasn't perfect either, um, and that obviously plays out perfectly in, into this novel as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it's fascinating to me that you know it, it's real. You know, the interconnected cross media aspect of the High Republic storytelling is that you know she's introduced in that way in *Prose and Light of the Jedi*, and and really we we see her fall from her pedestal in the comics, and here we we're back in *Prose*, and we're sort of finding her kind of regrounding herself and building herself back up and reconnecting with herself and with the force. Um, it, it, it's, 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 it's pretty ballsy. It's pretty bold. Um, and I guess I, th I think they've probably earned it by now. I think there probably are enough people who are at least, you know, sort of, uh, at least sort of kept up with an, enough, up enough with the comics that it sort of works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. And like thinking about it more and like kind of talking, talking about it with you guys, like I, I see, Avar and Elzar, they are they're very different characters, but I feel like both of them reflect the journey of just the Jedi in general at this time. Um, you know, this is the golden age of the Jedi, yeah, and this is you know basically a Avar is like representative of like a golden age Jedi, especially in the beginning. Like mm -hmm. she, it's the it's the height yeah. of their power and their influence and you know, everything's pretty, you know, for the most part, pretty great. And she's kind of brought, you know, maybe, I guess brought low. Um, I feel like it's a little too negative, but like she's, you know, she has to learn that she's not perfect. You know, the Jedi have to learn yeah. through quite a long time that they are not perfect, you know, and like, who are they to be the determiners of what's right and wrong and just and things like that. But then you have Elzar, who is just like always struggling to be like a good Jedi. Like it feels like he mm -hmm. he wants so bad to be like Avar, to be like Stella. And he wants to I, I feel like he he's like ashamed of his like feelings that he has. And, you know, it, and in the rising storm, you know, he did what he had to do and touch the dark side because he needed to save people. And I felt like he was entirely too hard on himself um for doing that and it's like you know he did what he had to do and i feel like a you know a, a real jedi that's what they do they do what they have to do in order to save people and it, no matter the consequences yeah. for themselves 
So I, I thought that both of them are kind of an interesting mirror and kind of juxtaposition to the evolution of the Jedi at large during this time. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because obviously, we've got a bit of a time jump before we get to the prequels. But obviously, you know, we'll get to the prequels eventually in the timeline. And they're sort of in this weird place where maybe they need to learn a bit of humility all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, I'm fascinated by this idea of what they're going through now and, and how that's going to connect to where we see them a couple of centuries later. And, yeah, it, you know, here they are utterly humbled and on the back foot. And yet we're going to find them in need of another lesson you know <laughs> a, a bit further down the line um so that I, I digress but back to Eivor Chris um yeah. Dan did you enjoy where she winds up here absolutely absolutely I again I, I loved the opening to Light of the Jedi I thought it was an absolutely stunning piece of writing and Avar was absolutely fascinating but I think as much as I loved Kevin Scott's comics to me they felt like Keith Trennis's books yeah and to me I sort of I, I just didn't connect with Avar for for a long time and then reading this book I like Avar's character just completely blew me away at how much I loved her character by the end of this book um, and I think the the moment that sold it to me was when she delivered the grain right at the, um, sort of in the middle of the book to the, the, the farmers who were in need. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember the exact line of the, the, the line, but it, it was, it was something about, she finally felt like she was being a proper Jedi, by just like helping normal people. Mm, yeah. um, and all this stuff about her being the martial starlight beacon, the hero of Hetz, all these titles that she had, this was the book where she finally got to find what it meant to be a Jedi for her again. Yeah. And I just thought that was such a fascinating journey. And she's such a badass. Like I can understand <laughs> yeah. why Elzar Man is in love with, with her. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would take a lightsaber to the chest for Avar Chris as well. <laughs> um, it's love. But no, absolutely, absolutely sold on Avar. Yeah. I think she probably, even though Elzar's my favourite character, I think Avar was probably my favourite POV in this book. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we can't talk about Avar without a shout out to the droid KC78, who um, oh, yeah. I, I know our, our, our buddy Jason from uh, This Dad Reads was very pleased to, to see uh, his little droid buddy getting a name check. Yes. <laughs> The little Avar's little squad that she forms of Casey and Bellet—they were just <laughs> yeah. so much fun. Like, what a dream team! I'd yeah, I'd take a comic miniseries of that. Um, oh, absolutely! If the last the, the narrative space is no longer there for it, but um, so that was a lovely dynamic. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's think about some other characters then. We, we've touched on them already: Bell and and Buryaga, uh, two younger Jedi who we've really seen them post starlight beacons fall uh, in the uh, Charles Soule short story uh, in Tales of Light and Life. Um, how did we get on with them in this one, Dan? Yeah, as, as I sort of mentioned earlier, um, I love Belle and Buriaga. Um, Charles Soule's short story in Tales of Light and Life, reuniting the two of them was incredible. Um, I, th- I think in this book, at the, sort of for the first half of the book, I loved where it was going with the two of them and Belle sort of having to deal with like, look, I've just got to, you know, we've just got to go out and do the basic stuff, help people and everything yeah. else will fall in place. Um, and I was 
if I am to level a complaint at this book, just a bit disappointed that here's a Buriaga story didn't really go anywhere in the end. Um, I think they're set up and they're ready to go to be more starring figures in hopefully the next book. Um, but I didn't get too much out of Bell and Buriaga's story, if I'm being honest. But I just, I like them being there because they're great characters yeah. and their friendship is just the best bromance ever. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it felt like they were kind of just having to mark time a little bit. Um, yeah. they, they, they had a role to play in, in the plot. Um, yeah towards the end um so they kind of just sort of had to mark time a bit until we got there well what about you chelsea how, how did you enjoy bell and Beriaga here i agree with you both i i i mean i love them as characters as a you know dynamic mm. duo i love their friendship their bromance but yeah i i was kind of disappointed that it didn't really go anywhere um mm. other than yeah to kind of like mark time and kind of mark uh where all the main jedi were so i I can definitely see them being you know playing a more prominent role in a future book future adult book um and i i was really interested in kind of learning more about the you know I, i feel like one of the like goals of the characters in the book specifically um bell and buriaga like i mean their main goal was to try to get a path drive um and try to grab one of them and then also they're they're kind mm. of fighting um was it melis shrike yeah. yeah um and and i felt like there wasn't enough there for me other than like being told that <clears throat> bell Bell and Buriaga like really don't like her. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, and and you know they're wreaking havoc. You know doing these raids just on the other side of the the storm wall and stuff like that. And um, but I felt like there wasn't a lot of like conclusion or like payoff to some of the things that were set up. And then yeah, and then in the end, like I think they get a path. I think the Republic gets a path drive, but it it wasn't thanks to Bell and Buriaga. So I was like, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, now what? Now what do they do? Yeah, it, it's interesting, it? and I guess it, it comes on Mel Shrike's ship uh, that the of our Chris is on, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's how it ends. Um, yeah, and uh, but Shrike is already gone. I think, or no, so she's in, she's incapacitated at that point. So, the, so there's there's no culmination into to the Bell and Burry versus Mela Shrike mm-hmm. sort of antagonism. It's kind of dealt with um, uh, by by Avar. Um So yeah, it, it it does kind of feel like it doesn't go anywhere. Um, I did after finishing this novel last night. I did reread and caught, catch up with the digital copies of the is it the Shadow of Starlight series, mm-hmm. Dan? You're more up in the comics yeah, than I am. Yeah, Shadows of Starlight, and it was issue number three, I'm assuming, you have yes. to talk about, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do, you, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so Shadows of Starlight, if anyone is just reading the books, um, probably the most significant comic that Marvel have done, t- tying into the, the High Republic, because it just completely fills the gap, not completely, but it does a really good job of filling the gaps between um, the fall of Starlight Beacon and where we start in the Eye of Darkness. The first mm. issue is the Yoda 
Um, I won't talk about the other character that's in it in case people don't want to get spoiled, but that's very much the Yoda issue, State of the Republic, them talking about the Guardian Protocols where everyone comes back. Issue two is the Elzar and Ava story, which very much sets up what we're seeing in this book. And then issue three, what Johnny's talking about is the Bell and Buriaga story, which sort of comes, leads directly out of Charles Soule's short story up to the Eye of Darkness. And you get an absolutely yeah. badass scene with Pratri Vita um, doing some sort of force kung fu against Nihil. Yeah before he gets captured, um, which is obviously where we see him at the start of this book. So yeah. do read Shadows of Starlight. It's very worthwhile. Um, very much a, a sort of a prelude to this novel, actually. It, it, it always bothers me slightly when the comics do this, because I think everybody needs to read... I think everybody would enjoy Eye of Darkness more if they'd read that mm -hmm. whole block of four comics before yeah. they picked up Eye of Darkness. Before as they got Eye of Darkness, yeah. As opposed yeah. to, you know, maybe best case scenario, having read one of the issues before publication day on Eye of Darkness and then sort of catching up with the rest of it after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, because sort of certainly that, antagon that antagonistic relationship between Miller Shrike and Bell and Buryaga is set up in that issue. Yes. You know, because Bell and Buryaga are there and Pratre Vetter sacrifices himself essentially to let them get away and you know th th that that's all a big part of what informs their arc or, mm -hmm. they, they don't have an arc rather in Eye of Darkness but there's their journey in Eye of Darkness and I mean I guess Johnny in terms of comics I mean there's another comic miniseries which really really heavily influences this book which mm. is Charles Souls the Blades yeah, from absolutely. Phase 2 um, specifically tying into Porter Engel now I mean, I read everything, and it still took me seventy-five percent of this book to remember that General Vice was the character in the Blade. I was like, yeah. "Oh, of course!" <laughs> and then all it suddenly clicked for me, and I was like, "Right, this is—they've got some like two hundred-year beef or something like that." Yes, and yeah. It instantly became even more compelling towards the end. But Fantastic. yeah, yeah. Well, th th that's a beautiful segue into Porter Engel. Then Chelsea, had you read the Blade? before reading this yes but i was like dan okay. where i'm like okay i know porter so i love the mm -hmm. blade uh and i miss barash and i want more uh -huh. of her um i need more of her uh, <laughs> uh complete sorry side, side track. did either of you really want barash to rock up at the end and somehow save yes. him from oh general advice <laughs> <laughs> yeah still could have um, happened off screen uh, in my we're mind not, uh, yeah. i'm not discounting the possibility right now that's my head canon yeah and, and until charles soul or somebody says otherwise it happened exactly sorry go ahead <laughs> no no that's i i love that idea i would have loved that um yeah so i mean i've loved porter as a character i think he was so he was just so cool like you know you i feel like you see the art of him and you kind of underestimate him um, in, uh, what was it, in Light of the Jedi. And, you know, he's the, he's like a chef. You know, he loves to cook, you know, make yeah. the, the nine eggs stew. And, you know, he just seems kind of like a, a wizened old hermit. And then he, like, comes out of nowhere. And he's, like, one of the best, you know, lightsaber uh, swordsmen. Uh, <laughs> that's what you call it that like the jedi order has ever seen and i love being able to see that in the blade comics but i was also with dan too where it took me a second to be like who is you know general vice vice um 
and like why why does she have this beef with him and i'm like oh yeah like she was like the main antagonist in the blade and um and i love that they have like a you know almost like a rematch (laughs) in this um so that that was really interesting and i i absolutely loved the like porter reflecting on creighton's son and the Uh characters and stories of phase two because i feel like this book had so many delicious phase two nods and i was so happy to Mm. see them specifically reporter like there's like the scene with porter in he was like in a ship and he saw creighton's old robes and like he's trying to put together (laughs) one of these old um is it the ex droids and you know yeah yeah. and i'm like oh this is coming full circle i love this yeah yeah it's beautiful storytelling i absolutely loved that yeah uh, dan what about you how, how did you get on with porter engel in, in this it's, it's the first time really we've explored him in pro oh man right? it's yeah it's exactly what i wanted um i loved porter engel in light of the jedi um the idea of the blade of bardotta this mythical mm. lightsaber duelist it's been in the order for hundreds of years but we didn't we got glimpses in phase one, you know, him riding on a wing of a vector during the, the Republic fair, you know, all these little glimpses. And then the blade, we saw him sort of in the heyday as the blade of Bardotta. Yeah. Um, but this actually seeing Porter Engel out there surviving on his own in quite brutal fashion, having to really murder some Nihil, um mm-hmm. all the everything chelsea said with the, the connections back to phase two and you know the connections to george mann's junior novel with like the pathfinder droids um not part is it pathfinder is that am i using the right words i think so so the, the yeah the ex droids are part of the pathfinder teams aren't they? yes mm-hmm. they're pathfinder droids yeah and obviously the connection to crate and son and all of that i thought was was incredible i think i imagine charles souls sequel to the blades probably features general vice as well and this is probably like their third significant sort of clash throughout their history um do we know do do we know if that sequel to the blade is going to be set in the phase one era sorry phase two era or or could it be that it's actually going to be set in phase three and be actually a follow-up to what Mm. what, what we've seen here we have no idea my hope yeah. is that it's the follow-up because I refuse to accept that Porter Engel is dead. He's not dead. <laughs> no no way. Habeas um, corpus. Show me the body. I believe well and truly that Charles Soule, as the, the, the writer of the final adult book, would still want Porter about so he could use him at the end. So I'd yeah. like to believe that he's still out there somewhere. But yeah, I thought his character was excellent. Him reuniting with Avar and sort of having that moment of like, oh, there's another Jedi out here fighting. Yeah, brilliant. lovely. Um, super. So yeah, Porter was absolutely fascinating. And he's a he's a freaking badass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and we, we've mentioned there, in the course of talking about Porter, we've mentioned one of the antagonists here. So let, let's get on to some of the Nihil antagonists here. And we've already mentioned her, so let's talk about General Vice. Um, how did, how did she work for for, for you dan uh, in this novel uh, as a foil for for the jedi yeah i liked the whole idea of these like nihil jedi hunters i thought mm. that's a really cool concept i liked when i realized it this this ongoing feud this history between vice and porter engel when i connected it all in my brain it worked really well 
scary villain worked pretty well. I mean, I, I did really enjoy General Vice, and I like the whole cat and mouse thing with Porter Engel. Mm-hmm. But I find Marquion Rose such a powerful, compelling villain, and I find the nameless so completely horrifying and terrifying that I struggle now to to not care because I do care, but I struggle to get as excited for other Nihil villains now because I'm yeah. just I'm just hungry for more Marquion. I'm hungry for more, um, you know, the row of row law and nameless law. So because yeah. we didn't get that and we got more of these Nihil generals, yes, they were excellent. They were very well written, but I guess I just missed Marquion Row, I guess. Yeah, it, it, I, I absolutely get what you're saying. It's sort of, to me, Vice kind of felt like just some hired help uh, that... She's there because we need a foil for the Jedi who's not Markian, who who can be disposed of if need if needs be. That turned out to be Mela Shrike more likely, but you know I, I I did find it hard to get too invested in her. And then, like yourselves, I, I remembered who she was from the comic. I was like, well, at least there's something there. She's suddenly she felt like more than just this this novel's throwaway villain of the week. You know, there was at least a backstory there. Um, and where they left it, I guess, leaves space for more, potentially. Uh, Chelsea, what about you? How did you get on with General Vice? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you both. And I felt like she was, even even though, even when I realized the connections to Phase 2, I felt that she was a little bit undercooked as a, like a big, you know, big baddie, a villain. And yeah. I felt like, and, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I felt like her her main reason for being with the Nile was because she has this like centuries long beef with Porter, you know. And even though like she, you know, uh, you know, positions herself and and dubs herself as a Jedi hunter, and then I I would have liked to see like a little more about like why. Um, I, I always want to know like why people, you know, hate the Jedi, like the characters that we get and uh, same thing with, um, you know, Markeon Rowe and the Rowe lore, like it, I mean, he's such an incredible villain and just the Rowe family, like the Everenny, like I am, I'm so intrigued by, um, by them and i cannot wait to get more of them and like you know we got those little bit of like <laughs> snippets uh, like little teasers of of what can we what can what we can expect but um with general vise i i definitely wanted to see the rematch with her and porter i thought that was like yeah. really interesting it was like climactic but it felt a little disconnected from like the larger story that was being told and it was still satisfying to see and i you know kind of like the banter of them you know be like oh we meet again you know i loved that uh but i'm i i was still like i can't wait to get back to mark and roe and i can't wait to get back to baron bulin because i am ready for like weird twisted scientist stuff (laughs) Yeah, who, who doesn't who doesn't like a good mad scientist in Star Wars and uh, creepy Athorian as well? Yeah, I was going to say uh, the creepy Athorian thing had me instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
there's there's a I think it's issue four of Shadows of Starlight, Dan. That shows oh, could could be a spoiler here. I haven't read it yet, Johnny. It's, okay then. It's sat next to me right now. It's going to be my little read this evening. <laughs> I'll put a pin in that thought. Um, all I will say is it's Shadow issue four of Shadows of Starlight because uh, I finally caught up last night. Um, sort of shows the Nihil's journey um, from sort of the Ooh. fall of Starlight to okay. Heavenly, okay. where we pick them up here so we do see vice we do see these ministers of science and ministers yeah. of this yeah yeah yeah. i like yeah. that so okay um cool. so that there yeah, that again why wasn't all this out before the novel came out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they had a whole summer they could have just been dropping these on the build-up it's the perfect yeah. prelude to this novel honestly <laughs> um okay so we, we talked about general vice there's really maybe not much to say about this character mini vice herself mela shrike i mean she's just trying to be general vice right mm-hmm. and wants yeah. to what wants to stick her boss in the back at some point yeah um did she make much more of an impression on either of you not really no <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> she just kind of seemed like a character that was kind of like a reminder of what the nihil are like you know like they don't have a loyalty to anybody except themselves um, I feel like they have maybe not a loyalty, but like a fear of Markeon Rowe. So they're going to be, yeah. you know, kind of quasi loyal to him um, only because they're scared of him. So but I I yeah. felt like having Mela strike was a reminder of just your kind of average Nihil. You know what the night yeah. like the you know, the characters that we've seen throughout all the other books, because I feel like this book was heavier on the kind of the. Um, was it the the leaders of the Nihil, like the 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 executive branch, if you will, um, uh-huh. of the Nihil, as opposed to other books, we got more individual Nihil characters in favor of less or like with less time with the leader. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Melis didn't do much for me, but Jira Staros. Are we allowed oh, yeah. to talk about Jira Star? Let, let, let's, let's get go. on to Jira. She's next, she's next <laughs> on my list. She's man, next on my yeah. list. Let's do it. Jira Staros, like a character that I genuinely, this entire book could not stand her. But that was what made her such a fantastic character. Like she's such a nasty little conniving politician. <laughs> but it, it works yep. so well. And there's there's an element of me which should feel sorry for her because she's just got herself into this awful situation with Marcion Rowe, but I don't because she's fully gone Nihil and yeah. she's trying to gain power. And part of me's like, go on, you go for Marcion Rowe and, you know, you might win, you might lose, but at least the fallout could be fun. And I like what they're setting up with Jira. But the whole yeah. scene when she came to Coruscant and sat down with Lena So, the two of them going at it and like the politicians trying to be polite with each other, but like yeah. two of them loathe each other was, oh, chef's kiss. Yeah, it was so good. It was great. It was great. Um, it's kind of like that, uh, the female politician version of that scene from Hate with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro at the at the, <laughs> co- the coffee shop, you know, just, you know, you, you know, two big personalities going head to head um, with, with completely opposite agendas um yeah absolutely fantastic stuff i mean i still struggle a little bit with staros in terms of understanding her motivation in terms of why she aligned with the nihil in the first place power. And maybe, is that it is it, power is that, 
It, yeah. I think it, I don't know. That's my opinion. My opinion yeah. on it is just she wants power. She wants to be powerful. She wants to, in in you know, in the same way that, you know, Count Dooku fell so far and essentially all he cared about in the end was power. I mm. think that Jira is sort of on a similar trajectory. I think it's, yeah. she's, she's power hungry. And I yeah. think that's that's something that we actually don't get a lot of in Star Wars from female villains. It's actually a female really? villain that just wants power. And I, yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Chelsea? How's um, how Miss Star Wars working for you here? I liked her so much more in this book than in... Was it the last time we saw her in The Fallen Star, I think? Yeah. She probably had, yeah, she was flitting in and out there, wasn't she? Yeah. She, she was quite significant in it. She was sort of on Marky and Rose's ship with On the ship. Okay. Yeah. Sort of, I was like yeah. trying to think of like when we kind of got introduced to her in relation to Marky and Rowe and things like that. And I actually liked her more in this book because, it, like you said, it, it she's power hungry. And I felt like we got much more of her, her motivations and like the things that she wants mm. out of out of um this book and i i did want her to like lean into it more of like maybe not lean into more of like being a villain but like you know if this is what you want then like lean into it like it's demand it you know like i felt like she still had a little bit of i guess rightfully so uh fear of markian Rowe, and i want I want her to not just be his like arm candy or whatever. And also like he just, yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah. really curious of like what he is doing with her because he seems so disinterested. So mm. um, <laughs> I'm just like, it is all. And then he, but he also, yeah. he seems disinterested in her as like a person, you know, as a lover or whatever, but he's also not interested in anything that she has to offer or to say. So I'm like, so what, you know, it, it makes me think that he basically used her for, you know, the th everything with Starlight Beacon. And now he's like, okay, like, what are you still doing here? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need you anymore. Like I get those vibes and yeah. I want her to like realize that and then just, you know, lash out <laughs> like, and, and like really get pissed off um mm -hmm. and like do something about it as opposed to kind of what she's what she did in the eye of darkness is like again play the politician and like try to like make the nihil into this like governing body and i'm just like girl like you literally share his bed you you really think that he's interested <laughs> in playing politics like the, the whole point of like all of the things that they have done is so they don't play politics they just take what they want by force and then they establish you know rule or not even like rule it's just like this is this is my way this is my area and i do what i want so yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i find that i find that interesting as you know reading the section of the book where the storm wall expands and and suddenly nihil space the occlusion zone is bigger i'm like Markion Rowe does not want to govern people, and yet he keeps giving himself more people to govern. <laughs> you, you know, and, and, and sort of the, uh, the next thought then was, where does that end? You know, he just keeps pushing it out, now, now, until he's got the whole republic inside. Well, then 
they're just going to attack him. What, what, what is the end game with he, the Stormwall? He, he can't go any further. He, he knows yeah. he can't go any further because Iriadu is right there. And you don't mm. mess with... If, if you learnt something from like the Jedi, you don't mess with Iriadians or Iriaduans or whatever you call him. So I don't uh, think he's got... I think he's got a plan. Mark Henry's okay. got a plan. We just haven't seen it yet. Okie doke. I, I think I think you're right. I think, I think the, the, the niggles that I've got around the sort of the overarching plot in here are probably because there's there's there are things that we don't know, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of motivations and, and exactly what 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 his endgame is. Let's talk about him then, Marky Onro, mm. um, the, the, the main man. Um, yeah, Chelsea, are you are you a Marky Onro stan? Yes. <laughs> I uh-huh. think he's okay. fascinating. And honestly, having read Phase 2 and read Marta Rowe's story, I like him even more. Even though we've only got like the tiniest little crumb of like connect I mean obviously they're they're connected, you know, by family. Um but in the Eye of Darkness, he briefly mentions the name that he's heard throughout his life, Marta Rowe, and like the echoes of, yes. of her. And I'm like, oh, more, more, more. And then we don't get any more. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I cannot wait for like this to happen. Like I want, I'm like, I want Markian Rowe to have that, you know, the Everenny curse and to see like somebody, like ha- maybe, you know, a stretch possibly, but I would love if Marta wrote for Marta wrote to come back as like a ghost, you know, and haunt him <laughs> or something. And like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I feel, it feels like it's kind of a stretch, but like would love that. Um, he, I love how much time we get with him in this book and like, and not even time as in like, he's part of the chapter, but we're seeing him through other people. I feel like we get more of him like his perspective in this book not as much as i would like but i think we get do get more of him i feel like in previous previous books it's all um other people's perspectives of him you know being mm-hmm. near him and i want i want like that inner those inner workings i want to like yeah. hear his mind you know read his mind and his thoughts mm. and because i feel like even at this point, I don't exactly know what his end game is. And I, I'm sure that's yeah. for a reason <laughs> um, uh-huh. because we need to keep reading, but I, I don't know why he hates the Jedi so much. I know why Marta Rowe hates the Jedi. Of, of course, I know yeah. that. I don't know why he hates the Jedi and what he plans to do about it. And I cannot wait yeah, he- to learn that. <laughs> He seems to be too big a character, too strong a character, to be driven by something as um, minor as religious indoctrination. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, 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 he should be strong. He's strong-willed enough to make up his own damn mind. So you're right. What? Why does he hate the Jedi? It can't just be because he's received this. You know, he doesn't. That, that's the point of view. He doesn't have a big opinion about the force like Marta did Mm. like Marta, you know, the path of the open hand, all their stuff, they had big opinions about the force. It wasn't necessarily that they just hated the Jedi. They had a religious fervor and this, 
faith in what the in this idea of what the force was but like i don't think mark yanro has ever said anything about how he feels about the force he's just he hates the jedi and then obviously we get to the the nameless and you know his pets and things like that so i think he he has that understanding of the force and how the jedi operate so he knows that but yeah like i i'm 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 still like i cannot wait to like see all of it like see all of his motives and all of these these reasons why yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think we'll get we we'll, we'll get that before the end whether we get it in prose or in another sort of charles soul mark yonru focused mini series comic i don't know uh, yeah. um i so i have mixed feelings because mm. I absolutely, I love Mark. I mean, I don't love Marky on Ro, but as a character, I think he's one of. You, you're not a Marky on Ho, Dan. I'm. I'm not. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I'm not because I. I'm utterly repulsed by him. I mean, uh-huh. he, he is when he takes a mask off. Like, I mean, let's be honest. We've seen him in the comics. He's a good-looking mm-hmm. Everenny. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I don't like him at all. But I think he's an absolutely fascinating villain. I think he's up there with you know, the likes of Darth Vader, a, a truly compelling villain, but in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And I think my complaint, perhaps, is that the cover of this book is Markeon Rose sat in a throne. Yep. The book is called The Eye of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I didn't get enough Markeon Rose for what we were being advertised. Um, what we got of Markeon Rose was incredible and terrifying. The scene at the beginning mm-hmm. with Pratri Vita in the prison cell, and then, I mean, the, the scene where Marky on Road goes on live TV and executes a, a Jedi Grandmaster with the Nameless was, I mean, yeah, it was like mm. jaw to the floor moment of just like another reminder as if we needed another reminder that this guy is pure evil and he's ruthless and the Jedi should be terrified of him. Um, so everything we got of Marky on Row in this, I liked but I just, I felt like we were due more because of the cover and the name of the book. And that's not, that's not even George Mann's fault. That's, mm. that's what they chose to put on the cover. But I just, yeah, that, I mean, that's my honest, Mark and Rose, brilliant. I'm, as Chelsea said, so excited to find out what all this motivation, what everything's about with him. Yeah. But I yeah. felt slightly let down that we didn't get as much of him as I thought we were going to get in this book. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I'm a little on the fence. I, I'm not overly invested in him as a villain. I, I'm, I'm glad he's there. <laughs> um, I think he's a really compelling villain. Um, I, I, I guess for me, I like to understand why someone's doing something. So I guess I'm probably not going to completely form an opinion on him and how he works for me until probably until the very end when we finally know why on earth he's doing all this. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to getting to that point, uh, and I'm sure we will do. I, I love that idea, Chelsea, that, that you mentioned about him, somehow, him having the Everenny curse and maybe you know, seeing people talking to him from the past, dead people. You know, I, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love for there to be kind of a reveal at some point when we have POV sections from him where actually everyone he's killed, he sees, oh, you know, yeah. and he's just surrounded and he's just surrounded by them all the time. And, you know, all the various Tempest runners and everybody else that, you know, and all, all the Jedi, the, the idea that he's maybe haunted or there's something else going on with him. Um, 
I kind of I need that right now. That's kind of what I'm missing um, from Mark Yenro. But you know, this this novel for me did a great job of just carrying the character forward, carrying the whole story forward. And I'm just yeah, I, I can't wait to see what comes next for him. Um, that's villains. I want to come back to Jedi again, and particularly I, I want to talk about sort of Jedi attachments uh, and intimacy. You know, I mean. From the light of the Jedi onwards, it's been clear that, that many of the Jedi of the High Republic era do have both emotional attachments and occasionally no strings attached sex. And we're looking at Elzar Man, <laughs> obviously. Uh, you know, do, do either of you have any thoughts or feelings about how that idea presents itself in this novel? Maybe with regards to a couple of characters in particular? I mean, I have thoughts. Um, uh-huh. I'm going to give my thoughts very. I'm going to give my thoughts very quickly because I know Chelsea has got uh, lots she wants to talk about here. Um, I think the way the High Republic deals with Jedi intimacy, Jedi relationships, is fascinating. I think it's it's really different and unique from what we see in the prequels, and that's fun. That's exciting. Um, as I have mentioned multiple times this podcast already, the Elzar Avar relationship is the best and I can't wait to see where it goes. However, I have a theory about what's going on what what is going on with the High Republic and all the Jedi mm-hmm. romance and everything. I am worried that the reason the Jedi in the prequels are so against attachment in such a dogmatic way is because mm-hmm. something went wrong a long time ago when two Jedi fell in love and I can't escape thought that the Elzar Avar relationship is what it could be. Yeah. And that's all I'm gonna say for now because I don't I don't want to convince myself of it even more because I'm scared at the idea of what that could be. But I mean yeah. I, I had I had more or less convinced myself of that before I'd even read this book. Um <laughs> I, th- I think it came up actually on you know the uh the sort of the, the book community hangout that Jason organized around the new year time. And a few of us were chatting about various things and the sort of the prequel Jedi and attachments. And that very point came up, Yeah, you know, that I, we're, we're worried that it, it's kind of at Avar and Elzar's fault somehow. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Chelsea, um, how, how did you get on with um, how, how Jedi attachments are dealt with here uh, and what we're seeing of them? Well, first, that theory that you have is going to have me spiraling um, (laughs) because (laughs) it seems so plausible and it's going to break my heart, Um, but it it makes sense. Um, I have so many thoughts about Jedi and attachments and love and compassion and all those things, and um, it... I have so many thoughts now in particular because right now I'm reading through like a a proof copy of the Mandalorian, like psychology of the Mandalorian <laughs> um, that one of the authors sent to me. It's, it's like scientific scholarly articles about um, psychology in Star Wars, particularly the Mandalorian. And I literally just read the article about attachment theory with bet- like comparing Din Djarin and Anakin Skywalker and I'm like oh my goodness I can't wait to talk about this eventually um so that's like really fresh in my mind um about attachment and like how the different attachment styles and like 
how the Jedi navigate that because related to your theory that you have, we think about the golden age Jedi right now. There's, we never really see any of the, um, like the Jedi leaders, the masters, things like that talk about how, um, you know, Jedi aren't supposed to have attachments, you know, Jedi can't, you know, be so attached to other people. Like, no, I don't think any, any Jedi is really reprimanded for those feelings. Even, even Elzar, and I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember him ever being like reprimanded or chastised for his feelings. Um, And I, I don't, I don't know if the Jedi Order knows some of his um, shenanigans that he's been up to, but um, I can only imagine that they don't know the extent but they probably just assume that there are some jedi out there who are just gonna you know kind of have some no strings attached fun um and maybe they don't really care about that at this point and maybe that is something that is why later on a couple hundred years in the future during the prequels it i mean it's reiterated over and over and over again i mean specifically to anakin of you know let go of your feelings you know, um, <laughs> you, you can't be attached to someone, um, you know, you have to let them go and things like that. And I don't really get that in the High Republic, which is really nice because I think that, um, you know, Jedi are still, you know, human beings or they're, you know, they're sentient beings. They still have mm-hmm. feelings. And no matter if you're trying to be a Jedi or just an average citizen or whatever, like you can't, push down those feelings you can't repress your feelings it's not healthy you get people like anakin um and a lot of other you know kind of fallen jedi and when you and i'm always fascinated by those characters who are you know they they're fallen jedi and like they leave the order and all this other stuff and you hear about their reasons for it and i'm like oh well that makes sense i would leave too um <laughs> i mean like oh i, I wouldn't want to do that either like that's kind of dumb um specifically with elzar and avar i i'm so fascinated by the relationship and i and i don't really expect their relationship to kind of re-blossom you know into anything else i so far i don't feel like it's being set up that way now i could be wrong um i wouldn't be (laughs) i wouldn't be mad i wouldn't be mad if they uh you know get back together but obviously in my ideal world i just want them to be happy on like a farm somewhere uh and (laughs) i don't know like just uh you know just live in their best life and not having to deal with anybody else except each other obviously that's not how star wars works so yeah i mean but why 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 can't it exactly i mean we had what the end of the uh season three of the mandalorian (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) come on i mean mean, quite honestly if the end of the high republic phase three is and everybody died except yoda and the other ones who we knew were still alive and ivar and els are are basically they're farmers yeah i'd be okay with that yeah you know totally (laughs) I'd I'd be there, and and that's why the Jedi are so angry about attachments because, because they left. They, they, they maybe maybe yeah maybe it's not something. Yes, exactly. exactly. They want to be ranchers too. Exactly. Really. Maybe it's not like something terrible happening, like 
Elzar and Avar's love, like, I don't know, destroys a planet or something, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. maybe it's just, you know, <laughs> they are like the two most powerful Jedi. They're, they end up being on the council. And then they're like, no, we can't do this anymore because we love each other too much. And we're just yeah. going to go off and you guys have fun. And then they're like mad about yeah. it. And they're like, no, we're not going to lose our Jedi to, you know, love. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, the, the the one thing I don't want it to be is they're in love and they, they've, they've made a vow that after all this is over, they'll be together. But then Avar is killed or sacrificed himself oh my and God. Elzar goes mad. Elzar falls to the dark side. Like, I'm, I'm so bored with people <laughs> falling to the dark side. I just, I don't need that, you know? And I, and I certainly don't need it ruining what could be a really lovely love story. Um, I would rather... Avar fall to the dark side. Avar, yeah, yeah. Either way around. I want more women in the dark side. (laughs) Yeah, it would still, it would still annoy me. Yeah, I just, I don't want this story to go that way. One of them dead, and one of them died. That would shock me if it was if Avar was the one who fell. That would, that would blow my mind. It's funny that you said that, Chelsea, about the idea of their love causing a planet to blow up. I was literally <laughs> that's that was basically where my entire theory was coming from. Oh wow! Just, yeah, they would essentially just like fall in love. The order would be like, oh, let's just let them be like a happy husband and wife on the council, and then just suddenly that just causes a planet to blow up. I don't know how, but <laughs> yeah, the, the, the butterfly effect, the force works in the strange yeah. ways. Mardaru was right all along. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so. At the end of this novel, I guess, you know, the status quo is largely unchanged, right? Mm-hmm. Except that Avar is home and whole. She's hearing the Song of the Force again. Uh, the storm wall has expanded, bringing more of the galaxy under Nihil rule, so to speak. Uh, and I guess we might have the beginnings of a way to breach the storm wall in the future. Uh, Porter Engel, still missing in the occlusion zone. He's not dead. I refuse to believe it. Um, but we don't have a plan for dealing with the nameless. Uh, and, and we're yet to catch up with many of our favorite characters from phase one. So, I mean, did you guys enjoy the wrap up and where we get to at the end of this novel? And where do we go from here, do you think? Um Chelsea, you first of all, how did you enjoy where we get to? I I definitely enjoyed it. And kind of going back to what I said about this book having a lot of Empire Strikes Back moments, kind of these like small, small victories, um, big impact. And I, uh-huh. I remember the, you know, obviously the ending of Empire Strikes Back when it's uh, Luke and Leia next to each other, like looking out. Um, you know, Luke's just got his new arm <laughs> and um, it ends hopeful, even though like, you know, they're kind of down and out, you know, they've really had some setbacks. There's still that like little, little seed of hope that's there. And I, I yeah. felt like after the entire novel being really dark and ominous and just sad and, and, you know, kind of one one setback after another after another and really being lost and not knowing where to go next i felt like it ended on a really hopeful note which was really interesting yeah. for a high republic yeah. novel because most of yeah. the high republic <laughs> novels end with like an epilogue of marquion row being like well i can't wait to see what you know i can't wait for them to see what i did yeah. next you know yeah um it was I, nice. I will say that and i wanted to mention this with the attachments i was upset that they did not let Avar and Elzar hug 
<laughs> when they reunited, I know that they were surrounded by Jedi, but I'm like, please let the Jedi hug each other <laughs> for the love of God. Yeah. <laughs> like let people yeah. hug. <laughs> it was the, the most palpable absent hug since Leia walked past Chewie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Truly. I'm like, please, because you have that, you know, you have the moment when um, Avar and Rill reunite and Rill is just like, Avar, oh my God. Like she's like tears and she just runs and hugs her. I'm like, yes, that yeah. is human. That is real. Like that is yeah. raw. And I'm, and then it's like, Elzar had no idea that like Avar was back, I think. And then it was just like, she walks in and I'm like, I can, I can picture his face being like, oh my God. Like they just wanted to hug each other. I'm like, just let them hug. Mm. <laughs> Although yeah. I absolutely loved just the little subtle like brush of hands. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes, how it ends. Yeah, the two of them. little little finger brush. Yeah, yeah. Like I agree with you, Chelsea. The 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 part of me that just is so invested in this relationship, and I just ship them completely unconditionally. It was just like I just wanted them to have a big hug. But that like that for me was the hope at the end of the book, and that's a weird thing to talk about with Jedi. But the idea that that Avar and Elzar are back together, not in a romantic sense, but in a physical sense, the fact that they're back together and that like them just brushing hands and like them just knowing that they're there, to me is like yeah, the Jedi can win now. Like that was sort mm. of the hope that that gave me that like they can do anything. They can take on the the entire Nihil mm -hmm. on their own because the two of them are like together now. And I think that like little subtle moment sort of completely sold me on that. Yeah. Has anything really changed from the beginning of the book? <laughs> Not really, apart mm. from Avar coming back, but that's fine. I don't mind that because we are at a point of like, yeah, let's let's go on and see what happens in the next book. So I was ninety percent there to being fully satisfied with the ending. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And where do you think we go from here, Dan? What's next? Um, the next book opens up, chapter one, Elzar Man, Avar Chris, Steamy Room. <laughs> <laughs> um, Soft music. Yeah, yeah. Soft yeah. Music. What's um, Elzar caught what... with his robe down again? Oh my <laughs> god. The, the the galaxy far, far away version of Barry White in her, in, in her tease. Yeah. Um I don't think that's how it will start, but um no, no I think I don't know where we go from here. I think it sounds like the mission to get beyond the storm wall is really going to kick off in the next book. Um, mm. The the stuff with Yoda and um, Aslan Rel and the Nameless seems to be sort of progressing at a slow pace. So hopefully mm. that starts to build a bit more steam in the next book. Um, I just want to show down Jedi nameless Markion Rowe. I want to start getting to that stuff because yeah. I feel like George Mann was given a really difficult job of getting us ready for that and he's done that really well and now I'm just ready for the absolute power couple of Elzar and Ava yeah. along with Belle and you know whoever else is along for the journey just to go and and show these Nile who are boss. Yeah, yeah. And more more Ember next time. We didn't get enough Ember action in this True. one. Yeah, definitely didn't. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea, what about you? What, what, what's next, do you think? Well, I definitely want a, like, Jedi battle with 
the nameless you know reminiscent of like perseus versus medusa because i i get those mm. vibes um I'm, that's a great analogy <laughs> i love that. Uh, i'm really big into my um greek mythology era right now with percy jackson but that's a conversation for another uh -huh. time but i i get those <laughs> vibes with the nameless even though the yeah. jedi are affected by them not because they see them but because they like feel them through the force so i'm like i i want to know what the maybe not solution but like what the plan of like attack is like what the defense yeah. is against the nameless because the, i mean they they keep setting these creatures up as this like unbeatable entity that you know you have the jedi who are you know they're not all powerful but they're they're beings with immense power and you have these creatures that you don't the jedi don't even have to see them they can't see them because they are so consumed by this you know hallucinations of fear and you know things like that and i'm really interested to see how they kind of navigate around that so that they can you know defeat them um yeah and i'm i really i really can't wait to see how aslan Rall plays into it all because i feel like he's been kind of dropped in various um literature comics things like that and mm -hmm. I mean, the reveal of him in, was it Shadows of Starlight number one, I think? The first, I, I think, think yeah. 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 I mean, that was incredible. Yeah. I was, like, so excited because, yeah. you know, we had just finished phase two. And, you know, uh, you know the way that the Edge of Balance precedent ended, I'm like, okay, but, like, what about this guy? And then now we have this. Yeah. And I, I'm so fascinated by him and the thing again like you have a fallen jedi who basically sacrificed his connection to the light and and all these other things to do what needed to be done and i'm so mm. i'm so excited to see like how that pays off and like because i mean you anytime you see him in um the comics in the book the jedi are disgusted by him and i'm like the reactions to him i'm like that's kind of un-jedi like right <laughs> i mean yeah that's yeah. kind of mean right like you know you you guys like go up against you know i mean not anymore but like eventually i feel like they didn't have the same disdain you know for the nihil as they do for him you know like as he's this horrible guy and i'm like he he, he, I'm pretty sure he has the answers to your problem, so maybe maybe be a little nicer to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to remind people that the next book is called Temptation of the Force. Mm -hmm. Now, ooh, temptation means two things in my mind. Bomb trick away. I mean, I, I'm not even saying that in like a, you know. I genuinely think that that is going to be an element of the next book. Surely, right? I mean, this book has built up Elzar and Avar so much, and they're finally back in the same place. Tessa Grattan's writing it. Tessa Grattan's written a bit of steamy stuff with um, Justina Island yes. in Path of Deceit. So mm -hmm. let's see where it goes. But I think that that temptation could be talking about Elzar and Avar, but it also could be talking about what Chelsea was talking about with Aslan Rao as well. And I think mm. Tessa, having mm. been the writer of Path of Deceit, I think a lot of that Marder Rowe um, 
Path of the Open Hand, nameless stuff might really start to come to fruition, hopefully, in that mm. book. So fingers crossed. <clears throat> That'll be great. But that's the stuff I'm waiting for. You know, I I need to get I need to get my head around the nameless, and I need to understand what um what the plan is, as, as Chelsea was saying. I, I'm very much looking forward to that showdown. You know, it it can't just be that they figure out where the nameless are and nuke them from space. There's got that. You know, <laughs> it's going to have to be a you know Jedi boots on the ground, Planet uh, everyone, X, everyone in peril. Yeah, I want to go maybe. to Planet X. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. All right, so. Final thoughts, folks, on Eye of Dor- on Eye of Darkness. Um, how are we feeling about George Mann's first adult Star Wars novel now that we've now that we've been chatting about it for uh, an, an hour and three quarters? I tell you what, I think I love it more now that I've just talked about it for an hour and forty five mm. minutes with you both. Mm. I feel like I finished the book, really, really enjoyed it thought that there was maybe something that I didn't like about it but now I've just sat and chatted about it for an hour and 45 minutes I'm just convinced that I love the book I love the High Republic and George Mann did an excellent job and yep. Elzar and Ava forever that's my thoughts <laughs> you're getting the tattoo yep I'm getting the tattoo <laughs> what about you Chelsea I'm in the same boat I I think I gave this book four star or four, four stars five stars I gave this book five stars and I stand by that. And I find that talking about the books and rereading them, especially via audiobook, makes me love them so much more. You know, obviously, Mark Thompson is an incredible narrator for the Star Wars books. Mm. And yeah. I, I mean, I can't recommend them enough, really, anything he does. And I this gave I, I honestly didn't really know what to expect with this book before reading it um we kind of had like little hints about what phase three was going to be about but i i really loved how it kind of gave us a recap of what we've experienced so far what we've read what the characters have been up to and then really dug deep into those characters and instead of it didn't really move the plot forward, but it moved the characters forward. And I felt like that was really essential to this phase. Now that we've come so far, we've, we've gotten so many, especially the adult books, um, in the high Republic, especially phase. So phase one adult books, they were really plot heavy. We, we obviously were introduced to these characters and we learned about them through their actions and the perspectives of other people but this book did did so much heavy lifting with those characters Mm -hmm. and brought them forward and um you know really created them you know made them into three-dimensional dynamic you know feeling all of the feelings you know relatable everything um in this book and i i love george mann's writing specifically how he always has like a little bit of horror in in his mm. writing creepiness darkness and of course the darkness is literally in the title but i after reading his the the dark legends and then reading uh, what was it is it quest for the hidden city in phase yes. two i mean get him to write more like star wars horror horror novels i will oh, yeah. be there so Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I love those, um, this little sort of trilogy almost, um, 
the myths and fables, dark legends, and then the life day treasury that he did with Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic stuff from George Mann. He, he I, I love pretty much everything that he's done. Um, and I, th- I think he knocked this first Star Wars adult novel out of the park. Um, really impressed with this. Um, as I said before, so you know, it's like it was the perfect season opener to the to a new season of my favorite TV show. Uh, I was just, I was glad to be back in it. I was glad to be catching up with everybody. Really glad that it wasn't one big disastrous event, but getting that time to spend with the characters more reflectively. Um, absolutely superb job. I think I think Dan, you said earlier, you know, he'd been clearly been given a quite a difficult brief, you know, um, yeah. and he does kind of have to essentially mark time quite a lot. Yeah, you know, and the only the only sub the only plot where that really shows, I think, is that Bell Murray one that we've talked about. Mm. Um, but otherwise, everything does still have a momentum to it. You still feel like you're getting somewhere, and they have made some tiny progress. And the real what the real one of the real successes of of this for me is that the win is so bloody small but yet it feels so men- momentous and earned yeah. at the same time it means everything you know? even though it's so small. it means everything yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely all right um i think that's gonna do it for this eye of darkness triangular table um so it was a you. huge triangular table that was a bumper episode i know can you imagine if we actually had five? Oh, wow. <laughs> if there was five of us we'd still be here in an hour's time <laughs> um but thanks obviously to dan for being here it's always good to chat to you man um extra special thanks to our guest chelsea um why don't we let the folks listening know where they can find you and follow your star wars journey online chelsea so you can find me couple places mainly on substack so i have a weekly star wars newsletter the space wizards book club i'm also at the space wizards book club on instagram fantastic Uh, and what's your next thing for star wars insider or can you not tell us oh i can tell you uh mainly because a lot of the world knows because i had a call out for it uh i am writing (laughs) a very special 25th anniversary story for about the phantom menace and I have heard from like hundreds of people sharing their memories about seeing The Phantom Menace in 1999, the lead up to it, uh, downloading the trailers via dial-up, mm-hmm. um, oh, the yes. struggles of people who lived <laughs> in the UK uh, not being able to get this content oh, at man. the same time. um shopping (laughs) for the toys during midnight madness and so really all of that stuff and i i am almost done with it it's gonna be an edit soon and i'm i'm so excited fantastic can't wait to read it can't wait to read it and which month is that going into which issue is that going into i think it's issue 225 i believe um as far as i know i know that i think that one's supposed to be april I think April, but I know the Phantom Menace anniversary is in May, so I'm not 100% sure, but um, cool. yeah, I will obviously be sharing that when it comes out. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Looking forward to it. Uh, and Dan, on the off chance that this is someone's first time hearing you on this podcast, where can folk find you? Uh, Vader's Castle Library on Instagram, and that's pretty much it, and on this podcast quite a bit. Um, yeah. 
yeah, we've got lots of lots of fun stuff coming up on the podcast over the coming months. That I will be there for some of it. I won't be there for some of it. Johnny will be there. Morgan, Chris, and hopefully we'll have Chelsea back for something again soon. Yes, uh, sure we will. So yeah, Johnny, that was really good fun. I love that. That was a really fantastic chat. Um, of course, if, if, if you feel compelled to find me, um, you, can, you can find me as at Journals of the Wills on Instagram and threads. Uh, that's journals with an S and wills with an itch. Uh, and you can reach out to the podcast team on all the usual social media channels. And there, there you were looking for at SWBC podcast. Uh, the, the next roundtable discussion will probably be on E.K. Johnson's Crimson Climb. <laughs> Probably next month sometime, not least because I've only just started that it. That we're incredibly late to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, keep those pods set to subscribe um, for all our usual weekly drops, as Dan said. Canon catch-up, fortnightly drops of Legends Library, monthly drops of Comics Roundup, uh, and the occasional special episode, author interview, or general chit-chat. These things happen. Um you know, and of course, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do consider leaving a nice review on your podcast platform of choice, because that stuff really helps, and it's nice. It's nice to, it's nice to see that. Um, and if you have any feedback for the show or, or ideas for future shows, please please get in touch. This is, after all, the Star Wars book community podcast, so, so get in touch. I, I think that's going to do it. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, all that remains, really, is to say goodbye. So it's uh, a goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from Chelsea. Bye. And it's a goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, folks. May the Force be with you. And we'll catch you next time on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Woo.